Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. These are the audio versions of the sermons preached each Sunday. I hope you enjoy. Merry Christmas. It's wonderful to be with you this evening. Whether you're able to celebrate with family or friends or whether you're by yourself, we're wishing you the very best of Christmases. And this year, because we don't have the opportunity to get together as we normally would, I decided that it would be a really good thing for us to kind of mix up what we do for our Christmas Eve sermon. Normally, when you come to Christmas Eve service, you hear from one pastor and it's one perspective on Jesus' story. And I thought this year it might be really nice if you got to hear three perspectives on this story that is so familiar to us. Judy, TC, and I, we are going to tell you our favorite parts of the Christmas story. And I'm going to begin with my favorite part, which comes from the Gospel of Luke. And this is when the angels tell the shepherds that Jesus has been born. And I want to set the scene for you. So the shepherds, they're out in a field with their sheep in the middle of the night. And you might be asking yourself, why are they out with their sheep in the middle of the evening? Shouldn't they be at home, asleep in their bed? And the fact is, if you had a big enough herd of sheep and you couldn't hold them in your home, you had to be out with them to make sure that they weren't going to be attacked by any animals, by predators, by wolves, by any hungry animal who might want to come in and hurt them. And so to be a shepherd was very, very hard work. You were on call 24-7. Wherever the sheep were, you had to be there regardless of the circumstances. And I think I can say with absolute certainty that shepherds were some of the hardest working people in the ancient world because you had to sacrifice so much for the benefit of your sheep. You would sacrifice your family, your friends, your time, everything that you had to be with them. But shepherds were also some of the dirtiest, roughest people in the ancient world. These were not educated, refined individuals. This was not part of the social elite. These were people who, frankly, shouldn't have heard about this at all. And yet they are the first outsiders to hear about Jesus' birth. Generally speaking, Shepherds, they were the last people to hear about anything that was going on in the world. Oftentimes, they would hear about important events days or weeks later because they were out in the field with their sheep. And yet, these are the first outsiders to hear about Jesus' birth. And so what this tells us is that Jesus is the Messiah for the average person. He's a king for commoners. He cares about those people who are often lost and forgotten. And this is the exact opposite of what most people expected from the Messiah. Most people expected the Messiah would come from the aristocracy. The aristocrats were the ones who were always in power. And the problem is that the aristocrats, they didn't really care about the little people. They didn't care too much about people who were just trying to get by, the peasants. And so when Jesus was born, he totally flipped this idea of the Savior upside down. So Jesus was a Messiah who didn't rule by the force of strength, but rather by compassion and love. Jesus is a Messiah who did not kowtow to the wealthy, but rather he cared a great deal for the poor and the oppressed. He was not a Messiah who wanted to hold our mistakes against us, but rather wanted to forgive. And frankly, wanted to make sure that we had the opportunity to know that he would rather bear our burdens upon himself. That's the kind of Messiah that Jesus would grow up to become. He would become a shepherd to the shepherds. A shepherd for you, a shepherd 
for me, a shepherd for all of us, a shepherd for the lost and the marginalized. He was going to be a shepherd for everyone. And the reason we know this is because it was prefigured at his birth when he became a man who was first visited by a group of shepherds, a group of nobodies, people who nobody cared about. And so the story goes that the shepherds, they went to Bethlehem and there they found Jesus lying in a manger in Joseph's family's home and they told Joseph and Mary how they had found them and everyone was amazed. And each year that I get to tell this story, I am also amazed because I love how this story brings out how Jesus truly is a Messiah for everyone. He's not the Messiah for the few. He's not the Messiah for the wealthy. He truly is a Messiah for all of us. And it is my privilege to be able to tell you this story each and every year. So as someone who grew up in the church, this is a story that I've heard every year. And if we tabulate the number of times that I've done multiple services, the number of times I've heard this story is well into the triple digits. And something that happens when you hear a story more, you become more accustomed to it, and it becomes harder to find the miraculous, or the new, or even the meaningful that you haven't heard and reheard time and again. So when Alex and Judy and I decided we were going to split up the story and each preach on a different part, I was the last one to choose what I was preaching on. Alex took the shepherds right away and gave Judy and I the rest to fight over. I could do the wise men or the star or the angels. And to be honest, I started writing a sermon for each of those in my head, but something just wasn't clicking. And so I did what anyone who was raised in the church has been taught to do. I looked for myself in the story. Was I the wise men coming from a faraway land across rough terrain, coming across a murderous and insecure king and then finally arriving at my destination? Or was I the star shining bright in the sky saying, hey, there's some really cool stuff over here and lighting the way so that others could see? Or was I the angels heralding our new king's birth and going to the lost and the least, the most marginalized and dirty of society and saying, this is also for you? Well, to be honest, when I went back to the story, I found an unsettling truth. I was none of these. I was the innkeeper. Now, to be honest with you, when I was a child, there was a cartoon of the nativity and there were three innkeepers. And the first two said, no, we have no room. And they sent Mary and Joseph packing. And the third one said, I don't have any room, but you can stay in the stable if you'd like. And that really stuck with me. So much so that when I went back to the story in Matthew and Luke, I was surprised to find that there was no character named the innkeeper. Matthew doesn't mention it at all. And in Luke, all it says is, he was laid in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. It's amazing how we can hold on to these things that even when we're shown evidence that opposes it, it's still part of our story. This kind of retelling or filling in of the blanks in Jewish tradition is known as midrash. And so if it's okay with you, I'm going to work from the midrash on this one. So why do I identify with the innkeepers? Well, if I'm honest, it's because I don't always see the holy in those who need help. Let me tell you a story. 
a couple of weeks ago, I was on my way to work. I was all dressed up because we were going to do the recording for the service. I was taking an exit ramp off of the highway, and I saw that a car had spun out and was on the grass between the highway and the exit ramp. I slowed down, and I tried to look into the car to see if anyone was in there, but I couldn't really see in. And the exit ramp looked really muddy, and I was wearing my Sunday clothes because we were recording our service that day. So I drove on. I'm sure the innkeepers felt something similar. They'll find somewhere else to stay. What, what should I do, give them my bed? They look dirty and unkept. There's always a reason not to help someone. It's almost always an inconvenience. But when we only focus on the inconvenience, when we only focus on the dirty couple who will probably make a mess in our room, or the muddy rampway that I'll probably fall down and get my nice clothes muddy, then we miss the opportunity to see the holy in those we're helping. We miss the opportunity to serve Jesus. So this holiday season, I wanna learn from the innkeepers. I wanna learn what not to do, and instead to see the holy in everyone I come across to help in any way I can, knowing that if all I have to give is a measly stable, that is better than nothing at all. I want to give as though I'm giving to Jesus, because ultimately, that is exactly what I would be doing. It's hard for me to pick a favorite part of the Christmas story. I like all of it. The disheveled shepherds out in the field, the chorus of heavenly angels bringing goodwill to all people, and the three strangers from the east who come bearing even stranger gifts for a newborn baby. As TC already mentioned, I'm sure I have my own midrash of this story, made up from the gospel accounts as well as stories I've heard throughout the years, ever since I was a small child. Tonight, I'm gonna focus on Mary and Joseph. As the parents of Jesus, they are the primary actors in tonight's story. However, we don't get very far into the story before we realize that they are hardly masters of their own destiny. Mary was a young woman, appallingly young from our culture's perspective, only 14 years old, most likely, but in her culture, that was a normal age to be given in marriage. And Joseph is perhaps a few years older. He's already established himself in his trade as a carpenter. Perhaps Joseph was 17 or 18. Their marriage was no doubt arranged because that's how most marriages occurred in those days, arranged for purposes of both financial security and security within the society. I imagine that in the beginning, the arrangements for this marriage were rather smooth. Joseph was promised that Mary was a woman of good faith, a hard worker, someone who would bear him children. And Joseph is promised to Mary to give her the security a woman in her culture would need to provide for her so that she would have some status because unmarried women in that culture had no status at all. So the arrangements were made. Mary and Joseph entered their period of betrothal. 
Of course, we all know that in the period of betrothal, all hell broke loose, or perhaps it would be better to say all heaven broke loose. There was news of immaculate conception. There were visits by angels. There was a threat of divorce, more visits by angels. And then finally, Joseph agreed to take Mary as his wife. The Roman government had decreed that a census needed to be taken, and each male of the household had to report to the town of their birth. For Joseph, that was Bethlehem, 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem, 90 miles on dusty trails, by foot, maybe some on the back of a donkey. The trip took seven, maybe eight days. I was eight and a half months pregnant, Christmas Eve of 1989. I could barely get comfortable in my own bed, let alone on a stable floor. There was no way that Ken was going to convince me that we were taking a 90-mile journey by foot and by donkey. Nor would I have been able to convince him that this was an immaculate conception. But somehow, Mary, with her strength and her courage, managed to do both. That little town of Bethlehem was jam-packed by the time Mary and Joseph arrived. The plan had been for them to stay in a relative's home, but that had been every other out-of-town relative's plan as well. They went to door after door and were turned away. Finally, someone took pity on them and told them about a stable out back, kind of attached to the house where they kept the animals. They accepted it. After all, it would be safe and warm for them. It is no wonder that when they finally found a safe place to lodge for the evening, that Mary's labor started. Some traditions hold that Mary had no pain with her labor because she was part of God's mission. I've always thought of Mary as laboring just like women before her and women after her. Perhaps some women from the house heard her and came out to the stable bringing clean water and some rags for her. Mary continued to labor until finally, with one more cry and one more push, she brought a perfect baby boy into the world. The baby was wrapped in clean rags, and Mary held him. Sighs of relief from both her and Joseph. Joseph looked at him with wonder. They both breathed a sigh of relief and began to doze off. What a day. Their day was not quite over, though, for it wasn't too long after that that the shepherds came, showing up, all of them dirty and disheveled, peering into the stable, looking for the baby in the manger. They told Mary and Joseph everything that had happened to them, about the heavenly chorus, about the news that a savior had been born to all of them. Much of it confirmed what Mary and Joseph already knew. It still seemed so unimaginable and impossible. On this holy night, we come to the end of this familiar story again. It is at once strange and familiar to us. But I encourage you not to finish your midrash too quickly. 
there is still work to be done, to labor like Mary in obedience to God so that justice comes for all people, so that the hungry are fed and the homeless are housed. We are encouraged to allow Christ to be born in our hearts this night. And with that new birth, to go forward as the light of Christ into a dark and dreary world. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.